Hello, hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. I am so excited you are back here joining us today. Now, I first connected with today's guest last year at the Agriculture Future of America Alliance X alumni event in Denver, Colorado. He was a fellow speaker, and after reconnecting with him again this year at the conference in Louisville, Kentucky, I just knew I needed to bring him on the show. Serving as the Bill Daniels Professor of Business Ethics and Legal Studies at the University of Denver, Corey Cacchetti is one of the university's most popular and highest rated professors. Corey joined DU after graduating with a law degree from Duke University School of Law, a master's in religious studies and two bachelor's degrees in finance and economics, summa cum laude from the University of Denver. Corey is a talented speaker and teacher and has won multiple teaching and speaking awards, including the Outstanding Professor of the Year Award and the Joel Goldman Award for Most Respected Speaker on the Campus Speak roster. He currently teaches classes on business law and ethics in a department ranked by the Wall Street Journal and Business Week in the top 10 nationwide for producing students with high ethical standards. Corey also speaks to tens of thousands of individuals each year about authentic success and living an ethical life and is the author of the book, Inspire Integrity, Chase an Authentic Life. He has spoken to diverse audiences in over 300 cities and 47 states over the past 18 years. A Colorado native, Corey resides in Denver with his wife, Jillian, and daughters, Sophia and Sydney. Without further ado, let me welcome Corey to the show. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Hello, Corey, and welcome. Kaya, thanks for saying my last name right. (laughs) Well, you know, I had to be the MC at two conferences where you spoke, so I would be kicking myself if I didn't know how to say your name by now. Well, it's rare, so I appreciate it. Of course. Corey, I you are just one of those people that when you are in the room hearing you speak from my personal experience, you cannot help but leave feeling inspired on another level. And this is what I'll say too, because I think people that are listening, we've all been to conferences and heard speakers that, you know, have an inspiring message, but you're just like, okay, yeah, whatever. But I feel like you have a way of really making everyone feel like, man, he is talking to me right now. One of my, uh, I have to say, one of my speaking goals is exactly that. So that people retain it long after I leave, because that's the real value, right? But the stuff I talk about, you got to go home and think about and practice. And so that's a huge compliment. Absolutely. Now, I want to back up really quick because I loved hearing a little bit of the background of how you really came into doing this work that you're doing. So I'd love for you to give us a little insight into your origin story. I mean, how did life lead you here to the work that you're doing now, speaking on stages all across the country? It's funny because I ask my students questions like this. Like if you could go back and do you know, let's say they're executive MBA students, they're a little older. If you could go back and do the last 20 years of your life again, would you? And it's a really kind of deep philosophical question. Mm. So you would be maybe armed with all the knowledge that you have, but you wouldn't be sure that things would go the way that they did. And I think the right answer to that for a lot of people, for most people is no, 
you know, and I would probably say no. I mean, a lot of bad things have happened to me over that time, but I don't think I would have succeeded as often or been as lucky as I had. So I, I would say no, but it's a really interesting question for your listeners to think about. And if you're younger, you could say, would you go back five years till you were 15 or whatever? Interesting question. So I was a corporate lawyer and I did that because I wanted to be rich. I mean, it's just the dumbest reasons to do. There's a lot easier <laughs> ways to be rich, right? Than to go to law school and <laughs> walk down that path. And, I was going to say, you're really starting behind the eight ball with debt you, most of the time when it's law school. Well, yeah. So yeah, you have all this debt and it, hours are long and it's really hard work. And you know, we were doing things like IPOs. And you know, if you mess that up, you really mess that up for a lot of important people. And so you, know, you would spend the night there and things. And I just thought, this isn't for me. It's not what I want to do with my life. Money's good, but I'm miserable, right? So I left and I got a job teaching. And I didn't know, again, like I didn't want to be a teacher when I was younger or whatever. And so I started doing this job and it was really compelling to me. And I started to think this is, you know, why I'm on this earth professionally, I think, is to, to teach somehow. And so I'm doing this and I'm teaching these classes on law. Well, our department is law and ethics. And so I added ethics into all these classes, not knowing what I was doing, right? I, I wasn't trained in that. And so at the end of each academic term, I would say, okay, you know, we've done, you know, 10 weeks of law or whatever. Let's just let me give you some life advice for the last class. Let's make it fun. It's been hard. And so I would just make stuff up, like go find a mentor, you know, just like, duh, you know, like Twitter fortune cookie stuff. And this young woman comes up to me and she goes, I'm in a sorority. I need you to come talk to our sorority. And I said, about what? What are you talking about? She goes, about what you just said, like go in there and give us life advice. And I'm like, okay. So I go in there. They were super nice and kind. Well, apparently her dad ran a company and she goes, I told my dad all about you. He wants you to come talk to his bank. And I said, about what? Like, you know, I'm clueless here. And she goes, just what you said to us at the sorority house. Okay, just go in there. And so I didn't want to be a professional speaker. It wasn't sort of my goal. It organically formed from my work as a teacher. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. What I love so much about it is that it was an organic progression of what people saw in you and your skill sets. My experience as a speaker thus far was very much the same. I never sought out to be a speaker. People just started asking me to speak. And I have a gift and a problem with not knowing how to say the word no. So I just was a yes girl. And I kept yesing myself all the way to becoming whatever it is that I am now, which is kind of funny how that all unfolds. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. And that was when you were in school, what you wanted to do was become a lawyer because you wanted to get rich. And I think for a lot of us, when we're in college or at this young age, maybe we're motivated by different things at different points in our lives. But I think money is a big, big motivator for a lot of people. Do you think that money is an effective motivator? What made that shift for you? What what shifted your focus from being focused on money to being focused on something else in your life? It's like the hardest question. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. It's actually really easy. It's hard for people to understand. Let me go back okay. real quick and say, though, I think all professional speakers who do it organically, those are the best ones. People who mm -hmm. seek that out for the fame and the fortune and the attention, you can tell, and it's fake. Okay, so the money stuff, let me be very clear, okay? There's nothing wrong with money. <laughs> let me just, you could add a pause to that exclamation point. Money's not bad until it defines you. And uh, listen, that's mm -hmm. true. So don't go and say, well, Corey got on this podcast and told me to be poor. I'm asking you to be happy, okay? That's not, those aren't always the same. The problem is when you chase money as a means to make you happy, it won't work. It can't work. So, you know, it's like any dollar, some economists studied this, any dollar that you make as a, let's say a couple of two people over like $65,000, $70,000 a year, every dollar you make above that will not make you marginally happier. Wait a second. Okay, pause. Okay. Tell me that, tell us that one more time. Okay, so tell it more clearly. 
<laughs> no, I just I just really want people to hear that because I feel like when you when you shared this with me and I heard it the first time, it, it hit me in a way that I didn't expect it to hit me. And I want okay. people to hear it one more time. Well, this isn't Corey, okay? This is economists. And I think they were trained uh -huh. at Chicago, Yale. I don't know. They're smart. Okay, smarter than me. And they did a study that found that any dollar a couple makes above, I think it was $70,000. And you can adjust that with inflation to whatever you want to. Let's just say it's seventy five, eighty thousand. 80,000. Every dollar you make above that a year does not make you marginally happier. So let me tell you how I translate that. If you make $10,000 a year, then yes, money will make you happy if you have more. That isn't most of people listening to this podcast problem, right? So we tend to think if I could make $200,000 a year, $250,000 a year, if I could have a new fancy car, if I could have a new house, if I could have those things, then I would be happy. And that I will take to my grave as not being true because those things don't have the capacity to make a person happy. They're means to an end. Mm. And it's mostly an end of getting stuff. It's keeping up with the Joneses, right? So I have no problem with money. I have a nice car. I still like nice things. If someone took those things from me, I'd still be me. That's the question you have to ask yourself, okay? Money's defining you when, if someone took the things you have away from you, would you be sad, distraught, a totally different person, have lost your identity? Mm, such an important question to really ask about. And I think I think it's important for me to gut check myself every once in a while because just just yesterday I was having a conversation with my husband about, we were talking about money and I was talking about business and my goals and growth. And I am someone who is a very naturally, innately ambitious person. I have the the gift and the curse of wanting more and wanting to reach for more and get to new levels and whatever that means. And money can be a big motivator. And What's so interesting is I remember when I first got my my first job offer in Kentucky. It's crazy to go back and think about it now. I think they offered me $32,000 a year. And I said, yes, it sounded like so much money at the time. And as I've made more money, it's almost like I just feel the need to continue adding a zero to something, thinking that that's going to make a big difference. But I think what a lot of us confuse is what we want isn't necessarily the money, but it's what we think the money will mean. Right. And so I would rather your fuel, your motivator, be something way more important. Mm -hmm. the ability to give back to a community as part yes. of a social contract, you know, whatever. If it's money, that fuel kind of runs out, you know, and, you'll, mm -hmm. and, and then you'll never get enough of it, right? There'll always be someone who makes more in your sphere. And so mm -hmm. then you'll just chase them and it will never end. And the same thing I should just add goes for looks, goes for grades, goes for reputation, goes for resume. All that stuff matters. Like if you have any students listening to this, of course, I think your grades matter. I'm a college professor, right? They're bad if they define you. I know a lot of 4.0 students who aren't happy. I know a lot of pretty women who aren't happy. Yeah, absolutely. I know one of your your main things that you speak to in, in your book, which is called Inspire Integrity, Chase an Authentic Life, you talk a lot about authenticity and an authentic life. And if we know that these things that we're chasing shouldn't be the things that define us, I, I guess my question to you is, what does an authentic life mean? It's where your heart and your actual actions line up. So in no one's heart do they want to be rich. That's a brain thing. In no one's heart do you want to be pretty. Like our minds lead us astray, right? Our heart doesn't want that. Our heart wants us to be content and happy, and it wants us to be with family. So if, if you have this heart-life priority mismatch, you have a serious problem. And it will be impossible to be really content until you can align those two sides of your life. For those who are listening who think, okay, okay, I, I get what you're saying, Corey. I need to have my life aligned with my heart. If they're 
listening to this, but they feel like they lack that clarity. Like maybe they've been chasing the wrong things for a long time and they aren't even sure what their heart wants or what what really matters to them. How can we kind of distill what what is truly authentic to us? How do we discover that about ourselves? I wish we could do a, is it impossible to do a screenshot? Uh, we could try. I can share something on social media. We can do a screenshot. I'm going to walk you through this verbally and I'm going to send this okay. to you and try to put it up. Okay. So okay. if you were to distill, you know, 19 years of me teaching ethics into one piece of paper, it's going to be what I'm going to send you. And okay. it's a worldview page, right? And at the center of the worldview is a huge blue circle. Okay. And it's like your core. And around that blue circle, I have all these little red circles that orbit it, right? Red circles are things like my family, my friends, my job, my health, all the important things in your life. They hover around the blue circle. If you choose something wrong for the blue circle, what's going to happen is some of those red circles will be pulled and some of them will be repulsed. So if your middle circle is money, what's going to happen is friendships tend to get pushed away. So all you care about is money. Family gets pushed away because all you do is work, but maybe professional job gets pulled closer. That's okay, but only one thing is getting pulled closer and three or four things are being repulsed. You want to find a a blue circle where everything is attractive, okay? And so what you have to do is search your heart, like quiet time without your cell phone and say, at my core, what matters most to me? Now, let me elaborate for a second, okay? That cannot be other people. If you put another person there, think about in your weakest moments, in your worst moments of your life, in, in your grief, if another person is your center, you'll crush them, right? It just can't mm. do that. You think of like the worst moments. You can't put a person there. So what a lot of people put there, what I would put there is faith, okay? Some people who don't have faith would put something like philosophy or you know humanitarianism, but you have to find something there that isn't another person and isn't money. And then once you figure that out, that's like your drive. And then all the other circles you need to make rotate around that. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. We will make sure to get that graphic linked in the show notes. So if you want to see a visual presentation of what he's explaining, scroll down to the show notes and you can click on it and check it out there. That makes total sense to me. Speaking of the ambition thing, I think some of us, uh, myself and other people that maybe consider themselves to be high achievers can get caught up in this never-ending hustle of more in pursuit of joy and fulfillment or whatever we think that more will give us. And you shared a story in your talk that I listened to about a rabbit. And I'd love for you to tell us the story of the rabbit, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. It's great. It's a story about a dog. Okay. Rabbit. Oh, it's a dog. Yeah. Dog is the protagonist. Okay, good. I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm sitting in this room (laughs) and it's important. I'll tell you why. And so this guy named John Bogle comes walking and he was a, a finance guy, interesting guy, billionaire, right? He comes, he's the speaker. And I'm in the front of this room and I'm listening and he gets up on stage and says, tonight, I'm going to tell you a story about this dog. And we're sitting there going, I don't want to hear that. Like, what the heck? But what are you going to do? You can't leave. Guy's a billionaire. He's going to talk about whatever he wants, right? So, so I'm so glad I stayed. And he goes, this is Cash the Racing Greyhound. And he's world famous, has won tens of millions of dollars for his owner. And the night before the biggest race of his life, they're on the patio, they're talking. And she looks at the dog and goes, hey, the race is tomorrow. We're going to win. Are you ready? And the dog goes, "Uh, I'm not going to race tomorrow. Like, I quit. And she goes, wait, the race is tomorrow. We're going to win. It's the eve of the thing. Everyone's here to watch you. Are you hurt? Are you mad at me? She has a bunch of questions. She can't understand why rabbit would quit or the dog would quit. And she goes, and the the dog goes, it's none of that. And she said, tell me why you're quitting. And the dog goes, well, I've been thinking about my life lately which is really what I ask all my audiences to do, right? Like think deeply about your life. And ever since I was a little puppy, all I've ever done is run and run and run around these dirt tracks. That's all I've ever done. 
And it finally occurred to me, those little white rabbits you have us chasing, they're not real. And, and it's over. And so he says that, right? It took me a while to kind of grasp it. So I'm just sitting there. I didn't get it. And so the end of his speech, here's how he ended. You'll never forget this. He goes, you can never get enough of what you do not need to truly make you happy. And then he just leaves, right? So I'm sitting there in this auditorium and I'm starting to put it together. And I'm thinking, all I've done my entire life is chase this rabbit that I'll probably never catch. And even if I did catch it, what would it matter, right? It's it's fake. And so, you know, I ask my students, what's that story about? And if they say the rabbit, that's wrong. The rabbit is the fake stuff. The dog is the key character, right? The dog is you. And you got to stop chasing that. Mm. It's funny that I that I remembered the story and I said the rabbit. I feel like there's something deeper there for me to explore, Corey. <laughs> I'm sure I'm certain of it. Oh, I, I I think that that is so, so powerful because I just think that we are, I don't know if it's just we're conditioned or we're modeled by other people to continue chasing things. And, and maybe it has to do with this, this influx of social media and being able to consume other people's lives at such an extreme quick rate at the touch of a finger that I think a lot of us fall victim to this lie that if I had this, then everything would be better. If I could just reach this level, then things would be different in my life. I'd be more satisfied, more fulfilled, more content but it's not true. Smart people do that all the time. And they take these worldly things like their, the esteem they get at work or their grades or their looks. I mean, think about the, how many people that's all they care about is, is being pretty or being handsome or being skinny. And those lies literally kill my students because I see the eating disorders and I see the depression from that because you'll never be skinnier than the next person. Right. And so, and then if you are, there's someone skinnier and it just, it's really unhealthy. It's amazing to me how smart people fall prey to that. Let me tell you this story. I talked to someone. She goes, I breed these dogs, Corey, because I she heard me speak. She goes, what, do you know what happens when a racing dog actually catches one of those fake rabbits? And I'm like, that's awesome. No, what happens? I'd love to know. And she goes, I can never get that dog to race again. She goes, that dog will never, won't even chase a bone for me. And isn't that the great irony of human life? Like a dog with a hamburger sized brain, right? Realizes what it's chasing is fake. And we humans with the ability to rationalize and philosophize realize what we're chasing is fake and keep going. It's Why do you think that is? I, don't, I think it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's this sheep effect where we see everyone else doing it and it's powerful, you know? But remember what your mom used to say, like, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you? <laughs> well, how yes, about this? Yes. If everyone, all they chased was being skinny, would you? And the answer would probably be like, yeah, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the same thing as the cliff, right? Mm -hmm. Your mom was right. Yeah. It's so true. It is so true. You know, for those listeners that have been around for a while that have been following my journey for a long time, a big piece of why I think my audience first started to grow was a result of my health journey that kind of went mini viral summer of 2020. And I had this incredible health weight loss transformation. I lost over 100 pounds in a year. It reached over 1.5 billion people with my health journey story. And I think the big reason for that, Corey, is because before and after pictures are sexy and everybody wants to have that transformation. And what's interesting now, you know, a few years later after that is I'm getting messages all the time. There is a, a keto gummy weight loss company that is a scam based out of like Iceland or something random that has stolen my images to promote their products. I get tagged all the time from people selling these gummies and using my before and after pictures to promote it falsely. And I get messages every single day from people that have fallen victim to this scam that have sent them hundreds of dollars to a company that's never going to send them anything that is selling something that's a lie. 
And now my my personal brand has kind of really shifted over the last three years. I, I used to talk a lot about weight loss and now I don't talk about weight loss and I talk about more of how can we learn to love and embrace ourselves and the skin we're in and, and care for ourselves better without this this image of of happiness and beauty that we were all sold for years and years and years because let's be honest that desire to look a certain way makes companies a lot of money and it's so easy for us to fall back into that cycle of comparison or wanting to change ourselves to fit this mold right let me say this that first of all that's really cool i didn't know that you need a cease and desist letter <laughs> I know. You know, I actually just talked to a, a reporter this last week about it. She's in Germany because, of course, the scam is translated in German and Russian, too. I think that my this actually maybe I feel like I should talk to you about this because you're a lawyer. Not that I'm asking for law advice on my uh, podcast here, but I feel discouraged by it because they also steal, you know, Oprah Winfrey's pictures and other famous people's pictures. And they just keep going. I, you know, I don't know if it's even worth the effort to no, try to spend the money on taking hard. legal action. It's hard to get foreign defendants. But let me make a more interesting point though. Being thin, like let's say someone is is overweight. Losing weight is not bad. It's just bad when that is what gets you up in the morning, right? Like again, I 100%. think that journey of yours is important to show people. My, my, my wife's a doctor. Like, you know, if you're obese or whatever, then there's health consequences. So by sure. no means am I telling people to not strive for that. Just don't let it define you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, I think sometimes we, you know, in my story as an example, I think people will look at me and say like, oh my gosh, you seem so confident and happy. It must be because you lost a weight. And I want to make it really, really clear to people that my confidence and my self-acceptance and my relationship that I have with myself is not about the weight loss. It is about learning to heal my relationship with myself. And weight loss happened to just be a part of that journey, the, the part that people could physically see. But by no means is my self-worth related to the number on the scale so or the amount of pounds something. I lost. Let me say something to that. You figured that out on your own, right? Like somewhere in mm-hmm. your mind, you said, this is a fake rabbit and it's not working. So like what I'm saying here is not rocket science. We all sort of know. We just have mm-hmm. to give our brain space to think about it. Yeah. And I think sometimes we have to learn the hard way. Like I hate that. I wish, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, when your mom said this, I think this is my experience of being an adult. It is realizing that everything my mom told me was right, but I had to learn it for myself, even though she told me a long time ago. And why the heck do we have to do that to ourselves? Well, we don't, right? Sometimes it's okay. But you know what people say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's exhausting. What a horrible way to live, right? Like I love the forethought, (laughs) you know, but we're on our cell phones. We're so busy. Like if we could calm down and think, we wouldn't have Mm -hmm. to learn the hard way so often. Yeah, gosh, it's so true. This is the beginning of your Irish spring love story. No, I'm not talking about that kind of love story. You know, the romantic kind. And no, I'm not talking about Irish spring as in the bar of soap. I'm talking about a self-love story. The one where the girl flies away to Ireland, rediscovers who she is, falls in love with herself again, if not for the first time in all her years, returning home as the main character confident queen of her own life. The story has already begun, in fact. Yes, this is the moment she clicks the link below in the show notes, reads the description, and feels her heart come to life as she wonders, is that for me? Could I do that? Should I go for it on this women's retreat? Now, she may question herself, running through the list of reasons why it won't work, and wonder to herself, am I worth it? 
But then she thinks, if not now, then when? And she finally says, after a long, deep breath, screw it. I'm finally saying yes to me. 10 seconds of courage, a few clicks later, and she claims her spot for the International Women's Retreat to Ireland, April of 2024. And her life would never be the same. This story, my friend, could be about you. You scrolling down below to the show notes, clicking the link and claiming your seat for my eight-day women's retreat in Ireland, April 22nd to 29th in 2024. There are still a handful of seats left and one of them has your name on it. Click below to learn more or visit coachkaya.com and click on the retreat tab. We would love to have you join us. This love story, it's already begun. The moment you realize you, my friend, are absolutely worth it. Having worked with so many college students and speaking all all over the country, what would you say is the number one struggle that you see your students facing in their life? You know, since they were kids, they've been overprogrammed, right? So it's always been get up in the morning, finish the homework you didn't finish, rush to school, we're probably going to be late, get to school. Now they're in six or seven different subjects, right? Recess is emotionally and socially hard for a lot of them. They come home, it's tennis practice. Then they have maybe something else like piano. Then they rush to late dinner Then their parents yell at them to do their homework. And then it's like, go to bed. And then you get up the next day and it's the same. And so then you go to college and now you don't have anyone watching over you. And so you just do the same thing right now. You, but now you have no one watching over you. So now you're going to bed at four in the morning, <laughs> right? You're not eating breakfast. You're, and then, so then you graduate from college and that's all you've ever known. And so you take your job and you work Monday through Saturday, you know, 10 hours a day. And then Sunday's filled with other stuff. And now you, now you are overweight, not healthy. And now you don't have any friends and it's this being overprogrammed, and they know it's not right, but they have to keep up. They think with all their friends. And so what I tell them is, man, you just need like a one-page resume that has some weight to it as opposed to a four-page resume that's four pages but useless. Mm, that's so good. There was um, a quote that you shared in your talk, and I wrote it down. I can't remember which philosopher said it, but I was thinking about it this morning because a place where I'm at right now in my business and my life, Corey, is I'm a multi-passionate person and I like to do a lot of things. So I say yes to things. So I feel like I have 17 jobs. And I know what I need right now in my life is to focus on doing less. And that feels like a foreign foreign concept to me. And it kind of sounds like maybe what you're saying is this pattern of, you know, I was praised for doing a lot and succeeding in a lot of things from a young age when I started my career. And I want to do less things. And I'm, I don't want to butcher this quote, but it was something about beware the barrenness of an overly busy life. Is that the right quote? Okay. Tell me more about that. Okay. So first of all, would you call yourself multi-passionate? It's nonsense. I'm like, a multi-passionate person, yes. We come up with these words to justify <laughs> Yes. Like that's the dumbest <laughs> word I've so ever true. heard. So yeah, so I don't, this is attributed to- Are some, you calling me out right now, Corey? Are you calling me out on my BS? I, I need that. it, but- I've never heard that before, right? We just come up with stuff to justify it. It's, that's nonsense. So I would take that word and throw it out. But this is attributed to Socrates, beware the barrenness of an overly busy life. Now, who knows if he wrote it or not? It doesn't matter. It's really powerful because in my life, when I've been really busy, I've also been very lonely. And so then I'm a smart person mm -hmm. and I go, gosh, I guess I'm not doing enough because I'm lonely. So then I do more <laughs> and the unhappiness mm -hmm. just multiplies because that's that what's making you lonely is that you're too busy. How do we, how do we break the pattern? 
This is, again, this is your another hard question. These are good questions. You didn't run any of these by me. No, this is all off the cuff here. We're, we're an improv podcast. <laughs> all the time. Like, okay, Corey, so how, right? Like you tell me to do this, how? Tell me to, and what they want from me is like 10 steps, okay? Between now and Friday. Right. <laughs> I don't have that, right? All I can say to you is in your mind, be stubborn enough to know that it's wrong and get up the next day and try to be better. And then if you fail, you get up on Wednesday and you try to be better. I mean, that doesn't sell a lot of books, right? But that's the answer. Isn't it funny that the most powerful true things are often simple, but so dang challenging and hard? Well, it, doesn't give you this, it doesn't give you this little thing to put up on your fridge. Tuesday is exactly. for being happy. Well, let's know. It's actually 365 days a year you have to try. Yeah, it's so true. You know, even with the health journey thing, I think people are always like, okay, I want this to happen. So can you just tell me what to do, what to eat, how to move my body? And I'm like, this is the thing I think most of us actually know. We know, but knowing better and doing better are two different things. It's just, you have to practice being good and you have to practice being healthy and you have to practice calming down. And so we grasp our lives really tightly. Like it sounds like you're grasping all your endeavors very tightly. You know, but like in my faith tradition, that would be an idol, right? You would hold on to that. Mm. You're not supposed to hold on to idols. Like you're grasping it. Like ask yourself, what are you grasping too tightly and and release some of it? Mm-hmm. I feel like this time, this podcast interview is perfectly timely for me. Corey, I'm basically turning this into a free coaching call for me from you. So thank you. <laughs> well, I, listen, I did all this myself and I just, again, learned a lot of it the hard way, like you said. I mean, Absolutely. I have an advantage because I get to think about this every day. Like I've thought about this every day for the last 19 years. So if it sounds easy for me to say, it's just because I've thought about it so much. Sure. I know another big pillar of of what you do, what you what you teach and what you talk about is what you refer to as values-based leadership. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that is? So, you know, it's funny. In this country, we have thousands and thousands of leadership programs, right? And they're really, really expensive. But if you do, if you look them up and you look at the syllabi of all of them, ethics isn't even mentioned, right? Like we are teaching leadership to a nation of people without even using that word. And my point is that is never going to stick and it's never going to work. If you look at all the companies who've ever cheated, right? There's unethical behavior, like obviously, right? They forge a financial statement, they shred documents, whatever, but, and they lie. But where does that come from? It doesn't just, it's not a work thing. Like at nine o'clock guy comes in and becomes a liar. It's always that way, right? Like I think attacking the personal piece of ethics is critical to business ethics, right? And we don't do that in this country. We just go after the business part and that's wrong. And so you have to look at your character as a person at home and at work. And if you fix that, you'll fix the business piece. Mm. I was just having a conversation with my husband this weekend about not this specifically, but you were talking about how the personal piece is how you fix the the business piece. And I was basically complaining to him, I'll be honest, about how the, the benefit of what I do and also the challenge of what I do is that I am the business. And I was trying to express to him how when I feel like I'm in a funk, my business also feels like it's in a funk because it is an extension of me. And I think sometimes, and and I know that this is a specific example because I am a solo Entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, and it's just me on the team full time. But this is true of corporate businesses too, right? Our personal ethics influence the leadership in whatever that role is, right? So you're just one person. You know, it's so funny how we try to live all these different personas. But to me, 
you're the same person you are at work, at home, at school. Like if you mm-hmm. lie at home, you'll lie at work. If you cheat at work, you'll cheat at home. You know, mm-hmm. so just being one person though, isn't that refreshing? Like you only have one hat to wear. Just make that one person be a good person. You know, you're striving to be good. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in this work persona thing. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, of mm-hmm. course it's different. Like you may, there are times at your job where you're more serious than you are at home. Like I don't want anyone to take what I'm saying too literally, but you know, ethically you are the same person in both places, in all places of your life. Mm-hmm. I I love that you said that that is such a freeing thing because what a gift it is just to give yourself permission to be yourself. And why is it that so many people feel like they struggle with that too? Yeah, they don't take the time to know who they are. And so if you don't know who you are, there's this inner dialogue that's missing. And so Mm -hmm. you're frustrated. This is why we get in our car and turn up our music and why why we're always on our phones and we're distracted by social media or whatever it is because we don't want to have that conversation with ourselves. Like, where am I good? Where am I bad? But if you don't do that, then you'll never figure out who you are. It's tough to be content. And so then you just wing it. You know, this is the Bon Jovi theory of life, right? Living on a prayer. And I love that song, man. That is terrible life advice though. And so you don't want to wing it. You can't wing it through your life and who you are. You have to know. We do live in such a distracting world. And I'm so guilty of being distracted a lot of the time. And in some of my coaching programs or when I host retreats and I talk to women, one of the tools that I have found really impactful in my life and that I recommend folks that are trying to figure out who they are, rediscover, reconnect with themselves is journaling. I, I believe in journaling. There's lots of different tools you can do to do this, but there's a lot of women who I've talked to who don't, who are afraid to journal. And I ask them, you know, what are you afraid of? And they are afraid of being alone with their thoughts. They are afraid of getting to know themselves. And so they continue to tune out from themselves by tuning into, maybe maybe you're listening to this podcast right now as a distraction from being alone with your thoughts. We listen to music, we scroll social media, we do all these things, we numb out with food, we numb out with alcohol, we numb out with all sorts of different ways. And I think it's so interesting to think about what we're afraid of. Why we're why are we afraid of ourselves or to get to know ourselves? Is it because we're we're gonna find out something that we don't think we'll like or or what is it that we're we're so afraid to learn about ourselves? Well and I don't say any of this to shame anybody, right? Like your journal isn't right. for you to shame yourself. Like, okay, so you, mm-hmm. let's say you want to write about your your friendships in today's journal and you and you don't have any good ones. And so then you write two pages and think about how horrible of a person you are. That that's the wrong intent and motivation, right? You have to write it to figure out where you are. Then mm-hmm. how would I like to be better? Like all of this needs to be turned mm-hmm. real positive. So to me, journaling and things like that would be a real positive exercise. And if your yeah. brain takes it negative, then, you know, you have to, again, be stubborn and turn that off. Yeah. I like to uh, encourage people to be, uh, I like to say, compassionately curious. And I say compassionately curious because I think that we have a tendency to be our own worst enemies, our own, we are, we are so judgmental of ourselves. And I think that when it comes to self-discovery and reconnecting with who we are, figuring out who we even are, we have to do so with this total compassion and and no judgment. And it's hard for some of us to be able to remove that. But I'm with you. I think that journaling can be a really powerful tool for self-awareness. And we you know, writing down the things that are true, it might be hard for you to realize and accept them, but also you cannot decide how you want to change your life until you're aware of where you even currently stand. Well, and you can't always trust your friends to tell you because either they won't or they're sycophants or they just, you know, 
don't want to make you mad because they know how you'll react. And so you do want people in your life who will tell you the truth and who will also love you, but you need both. But really it's that, you know, the computer and the pen and paper and you or whatever, that's when, you know, it's just you and you've got to be honest. Yeah. I love that. This podcast, Corey, is called Climbing, and it's a metaphor for life and climbing the mountains of life with the highs and the high peaks and the low valleys. And I like to ask every one of my guests that comes here on the show, what is a mountain that you feel like you are currently climbing in your life or your career? It's fun. So it's fun to be old, right? Like I, the professional <laughs> mountains, I mean, I'm not that old, I guess, but the professional mountains are sort of climbed. You know, I don't have to do that now. I just got to kind of enjoy my job and my life. And it's really awesome to be there. So, but mm-hmm. right now I'm trying to, you know, my dad, I have two beautiful little girls. They're six and nine. So I'm trying to be a husband to my wife and a father to these girls and also do these jobs, which even though I'm, you know, been doing it for a long time, they're still decently hard. You know, like if I go in front of an audience and mess up, I'll never get another speech ever again. Right. So, so it's this sort of, it's work-life balance is not the right thing. Cause I'm pretty good at that. It's just, I have to get my brain to dedicate really good time when I'm with mm-hmm. my, be really efficient when I'm at work. I love that. One of the the follow-up questions I, I like to ask here, because I believe I think for for too many years, I believed that joy was something that happened when you reached the peak. And what I've come to understand is that joy is actually something you get to choose in the process and the journey. And so in that climb right now and, and, you know, the balancing being a parent and a successful professional, where are you finding the most joy in that journey right now? Well, and that is so true. Every good epic story is about the journey. You know, and a really good author will trick you into thinking it's about the outcome. So if you ever read The Count of Monte Cristo or go watch that movie or something, it's the same thing, right? Like the whole quest is trying to figure out whether you want to take vengeance on someone that hurt you bad. And and what you do when you start reading that book is you go, yeah, I can't wait till he gets to the end and can kill this guy or whatever. And then when he gets to the end, it's the last thing he wants to do. And it's anticlimactic unless you've actually been following the journey. Right. So, mm-hmm. so for me, you know, it's interesting. I, my little kids, you know, every little kid is different at a different age, right? They need something different. And when they're little, you know, it's different now when they're nine and six, they have all kinds of questions and um, I get to bring them to my speeches with me and stuff. And it's just, it's just such a joy to be able to do that. I love that. I think that's so great. You know, I feel like, especially being a parent, I feel like your perspective, I imagine I imagine once you become a parent, your perspective on life changes for some reason. I'm not a parent yet. I hope to have that journey one day. Thinking about your little girls, what is your hope for them? Let me tell you the most important thing I'll tell you today. Okay. If you were to ask me my top 20 memories of my entire life, all of them would have to do with my family. Like Mm. my kids and I get to do really cool things. Like I get to talk to packed basketball arenas and I've spoken to the Federal Reserve and at MIT and whatever. That doesn't even make my top 20 list. And so, you know, if you really drill that down to what that means is you should never put your job ahead of your family. Like don't put things ahead of your family. Mm. And that's the most important thing I'll say today, probably. And, and you'll be tempted to, right. But like when you have kids and you start to realize that, like, I never wanted kids. I didn't come from a great family. I didn't want kids. Oh man, I'm so glad I'd have six more if I could. It's, it's so joyful and fulfilling and it doesn't mean you can't be successful professionally, but like, if you see all these celebrities who die. Like if you think about the most famous people who've died in the last two months or whatever, we don't even care anymore. Like they're just dead, you know? And so their life might've meant something, but unless you're George Washington or Martin Luther King Jr. or something like nobody cares, but there are three people who care deeply about me, (laughs) which is my family, you know? And so I want to put my energy into that. Mm, I love that. I think that's so, so important. I think it's easy for us to 
to get distracted by the things that we think matter that really don't at the end of the day. Has your, you mentioned that you didn't come from a a great family. So at what point, or I guess, has your perspective on family been influenced by your upbringing or when did you kind of realize that family was the most important part or has that always been part of your philosophy? Well, it hasn't, right? Like I said, I wanted to be rich in law school or whatever. And to be fair, look, if I retired tomorrow or got fired tomorrow or whatever, I still feel like I had a really fulfilling and successful career. Like I've got to be on a stage in front of millions of people. You know, so it's not as if I haven't been professionally successful. And it's, again, it's back to that literal. Don't take this too literally. Like your job does matter. And the profession you choose, it, of course it matters, right? It just can't be your most important thing. And so for me, I just wanted to be a father different from my father, you know, who wasn't very involved. He wasn't around. I never really saw. And it's not that I'm mad at him or whatever. It's the same sort of thing. I just want to be different. And that's, again, that's talk about fuel. That's the kind of fuel that never runs out for me. Mm, I love that. Corey, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Before we wrap up today's podcast, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners or leave them with? Well, okay. <laughs> you kind of asked me such good questions that that um, there's a poem. Can I share the poem by, by Emerson? Of course. Yeah. It's attributed to Emerson. I don't know if he wrote it. It doesn't matter. It's called Success. So if you wanted to Google it, that's what you would look up. Poem Success by Emerson or whatever. And in the line, there's a line in there that says you leave a legacy by a healthy child, a garden patch or redeemed social condition. Right. And if you really think about what that means, it means it's just as valuable to cure cancer as it is to be a good dad. I mean, Mm. and those legacies are the same, right? If you really think about it and, you know, I'll ask my audiences sometime, I'll say, raise, this is controversial. I'll say, raise your hand. If you agree with me, I would prefer a society of extraordinary fathers over a cure for cancer. And I just watch and 90% of the room puts their hands up. And it's not like they've had any chance to think about that before I just sprung it on them, right? But those things are equal. And I think a lot of us professionally go, if I don't do the equivalent of curing cancer in my job, I'm a loser. That's not true, mm-hmm. right? You do your best, you forget the rest, you go home and you be a good spouse, a good friend, a good parent. And if you also cure cancer, great. I love that because I think that that just is going to empower every single listener that the work that you do just by being a good human and loving your people well is wildly impactful. And I think that the way that we change the world is starts in our homes, right? I, I think that if you were to ask me my legacy, I would say I'm out there trying to make people part of stronger families. Mm, that's so good. You that's know, so if good. I stopped one couple from getting divorced and I already know it's probably done that with hundreds. For the most part, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Someone's a better parent because of it, or someone now decides to coach the soccer team instead of working Saturdays. That's huge. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've left us with so many good things to think about today and some very important questions for us to ponder and think about. And I'm going to lovingly challenge you all that you should maybe after you listen to this podcast, turn it off, sit with yourself in silence without distraction, and really think about some of those questions and to challenge you a step further maybe even write them down in a journal with some compassionate curiosity and get to know who you are today because the work that we do to heal ourselves and be more authentic to ourselves and love our people well, that impact is is everlasting. So Corey, before I let you go, how can people connect with you in all the different ways if they loved what they heard today? Well, and Kaya, you're great. You and I are on the same page. Like You're an awesome person. And the oh, thank you. times I've met you, I've just been really impressed. So this is really cool that you're doing this. My website is coreyspeaks.com. So C-O-R-E-Y-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And the book is called Inspire Integrity and it's on Amazon. 
amazing. I will make sure to have both of those linked down below in the show notes so you can easily grab them as well as that graphic we talked about earlier. Corey, thank you again so much for just sharing your wisdom with us. And I hope listeners that you someday have a chance to be able to be in the same room and space as Corey and hear him speak because he is, I mean, I, I know that you've enjoyed this episode, but it is just such a cool experience to see you do what you do. I am inspired by you, Corey, on a personal level and a professional level. I love your presence and just the work that you're doing out there I know is changing lives in a really, really big way. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. We'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.